Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. Our guest this week uh, is Renee Matthews, who is uh, a Chicago legend and an actress who has been in many roles, and she's currently starring in Over the Tavern at Noble Full. Hello, Renee. Hello, Tom. Nice to talk to you again. Great. Thank you. Uh, Tell us about Over the Tavern. Well, I had first seen it um, some years ago when it was playing at the Mercury Theater, and uh, I just loved it and thought it was delightful, and uh, my friend uh, Anne, uh, Anne um, oh, I can't think of her name all of a sudden, played the, the uh, sister Clarissa, and, uh, and I always thought it was a part that I would love to play, but uh, as you probably know, being in the outskirts of theater, that uh, we get very uh, typecast. Uh, we get very much put into a box where a lot of directors that know us and know our work just don't feel that we can stretch far enough to do something else, which is really a shame because those of us that are uh, theater educated, uh, we should be able to do everything from Shakespeare to uh, low comedy. That's why we're actors. Yeah, I, I very much agree. And so when this role uh, came along and I was offered the part, I really jumped at the chance. And I love the people out there. Uh, two years ago, I did Ruthless uh, at Pheasant Run, Noble Fool Theatricals, and I had a wonderful time out there. So when I was asked to come back and do a role that I had never had the pleasure of playing before, I really jumped at the chance. And uh, it has been a love-in. It's just a delicious cast. As you probably know, there are four young teenagers in the show, and every one of them is just uh, an angel. Well, give us an idea of, of what Over the Tavern is about. Well, it's actually more of an autobiographical sketch of the uh, author's actual growing up in a Polish Catholic family over the tavern that his father owned. And so it's a recreation of his mother, father, his brothers, and one sister. There's four children in the family. It's set in Buffalo, but it might as well be Chicago. It could be any place, any place. It's a family with their daily uh, trials and tribulations of getting through life with four teenagers, making a living, keeping food on the table. Uh, one of the children is the developmentally uh, challenged, and in those years, of course, they called it retarded. That was the author's brother. Um, And so it's a real cross-section of family life with a a great deal of pathos, but, of course, overlying it, wonderful comedic moments. And uh, Sister Clarissa is the classic example of the ruler-thumping nun in those days of the 40s and 50s. Uh, whose word was never questioned except by the youngest of the boys, who is, of course, who grew up to be uh, the author, who always questioned the Catholicism. And there's a wonderful line in the show where he says, I heard that there are over 13,000 religions in the world, and I'm going to investigate every one before I make up my mind what I want to follow. Man after my own heart. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Because I grew up in that era, too. That's why... I can relate to it because there seems to be a, a different reaction to the show uh, by different generations. Well, yes, of course, and those of the young the young Catholic uh, students today uh, probably cannot even imagine that this actually occurred at that time, and that families would allow that kind of actually brutality. Yeah, uh, the, I mean, she was 
Now, you know, I know that you came from a Catholic background. I, if your listeners want to have a good laugh, I'm Jewish. Uh, But as an actress, uh, you should be able, as I said at the beginning of the conversation, to be able to create any kind of a a character. And uh, I was rather thrilled on opening night when a number of people who were strangers to me uh, came up and asked me where I had taken my Catholic education. And I said, (laughs) really, really? And I said, well, um, I guess we're all praying more or less to the same God. I just took a different road. So, well, that shows uh, what a, what a white director shouldn't take care. That's what acting's about. Well, that's it. And like I said, I have a very uh, ambivalent feelings about those nuns, but I'll tell you, watching you on stage, you reminded me yes. of the nuns. And particularly near the end of the show when you had those the, the moments where, where she kind of reflects that, that she yes. could have helped uh, the, you know, the, the, the husband when she was a young nun, you made me think of a couple of the really good nuns that had a heart. Yes. So uh, Well, there's good and bad in every generation, in every family, and in every soul. And uh, I'm sure even at that time when they were wielding their rulers and their clickers, uh, there, there must have been some uh, that had more compassion than others. But they couldn't question it, obviously, at that time. Yeah, they, well, uh, that was the rule. You did it their way, and that was it. That's right. Yeah. And I think uh, from my experience just with the show and the dialogue, I'm sure, as with yourself, it must have turned a lot of people off in those early years. Well, I think that that and you know, all of those uh, uh, very strict religious homes, whether they be Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish, led to the hippie movement in the 60s. Yeah, think that, about those that kids. whole revolt. Yeah, yeah, that whole revolt. But I will tell you, you know, it's funny when you mention the Jews and then the the Catholicism a part of it. People uh, have often said through the years, there's a funny joke that goes around, that if you ask ten priests a question, you will get the same ten answers. But if you ask ten rabbis a question, you'll get ten different answers. I see. So if you think about that, you know, it's the way the religion has been uh, built and nurtured. With some, it's a dogma. One answer serves all. With others, it's questioning and examining. And maybe number one is not the answer. Maybe number five is the answer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we all take different roads, but uh, we all pray for the same thing. What, good health and a good life and good friends? And uh, so I think we all pray for the same thing. Yeah. And peace, and please, peace. Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the things that, that attracts me to the uh, Over the Tavern show is the interplay between you and Rudy, the, the, the young boy. He's a wonderful kid. He's a talented boy. He's only 13 years old. And, I mean, just in his whole being, this is what he wants to do. This is at Gabriel Harder. Yes, Gabriel. And, by the way, Ann Whitney. Pardon me, Ann, if you ever hear this. I couldn't pull your name for a minute. It's the moment of Alzheimer's. <laughs> Ann played the nun at, um, uh, at the Mercury Theater. And she's, uh, she's You know, absolutely... I was blanking, too, but you're right. As soon as you said uh, Ann Whitney, then it came back. Yeah, she's, uh, she's one of my best friends, and I apologize for the, uh, for the silence of the last name all of a sudden. But, yes, the kids are wonderful. They're all, I think, looking for uh, careers. They feel they've got the talent, and what I see, they certainly do. What I certainly wouldn't say is, you know, arm yourself with uh, something else because this is a profession that uh, doesn't always reward talent. And you and I know it's not always what you know. It's who you know, uh, being in the right place at the right time. And, uh, and it's getting harder and harder because the competition is getting uh, stiffer. But don't you think the young kids coming up with all the training that they're getting and people like yourself, being them having the ability to work with, with uh, 
our, you know, our generation of actors and directors that well, th- I think they're better great, than ever. I think it's great for them to be able to work with us, and by the same token, I'm energized uh, by working with. I have not really had the opportunity to work with young people in the shows that I've done, and so this is a joy for me. Uh, especially since uh, they've just become such a wonderful family on stage and off. They're all grounded. Uh, they have wonderful home lives. I love talking to uh, uh, the gal that plays the, the daughter uh, in the show. She's I think she's 16 or something, and she's in our dressing room with the mother and myself. And she talks about how much she loves her family and how much she adores her mother and you can just see, you know, that something is coming out of there with the right kind of discipline, the right kind of respect. It's just a joy. It's just a joy. So I appreciate these kids, and I, again, thank you, dear God, for the weather that has held these couple of months. <laughs> so coming from Chicago, we were all a little worried, those of us that come from the city. But well, How's the show doing? We're selling out. Wow. We are selling out. And, you know, we forget that there's a whole community there uh, encompassing hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, St. Charles area is it doesn't have a lot of theater. No, yeah. and a lot of and I would I would probably say that the majority of the people out there are not going to come into Chicago just to go to theater unless it maybe is something big like Wicked downtown, which they may make an evening out of special. But we forget that uh, there's hundreds of thousands of people out there, yeah. and the uh, Noble Fool is housed in the Pheasant Run Resort, which again has amenities. It's got uh, restaurants, gift shops, ice cream parlors, entertainment. So it is a destination. And so I think that the theater has enhanced the uh, resort as much as the resort certainly has enhanced the, uh, the theater. Well, a lot of that has to do with the, the, the young artistic director, John Golick. Who directed John is your a doll. show? Isn't he? Oh, he's an angel. You know, when I did uh, Ruthless out there, he was not the director. We had a guest director at that time, so I only knew him more or less on the periphery. But what an angel. I mean, soft-spoken and respectful of all of us, and uh, just it has been a love-in from uh, day one. So it's, as I say, I have nothing but, but praise for my experience out there, and it's wonderful to be working again. You know, Tom, you and I often talk about, you know, the age groups and uh, the younger women now who were the ingenues and the young leading ladies, they're graduating into the mother's roles yeah. and the grandma's roles and the teacher's roles. Uh, and so uh, for those of us, you know, at a certain age category, it's becoming more difficult uh, to find roles that are appropriate and to make a, a director understand that we can handle it just as well, if not better, than a younger person. Yeah, well, cause we're of, totally committed because of the experience level and and the you know the the sense of craft. And we've been there, done that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I and you know, you know, when I did the Full Monty a couple of years ago at the opening of Drury Lane uh, Water Tower, that was a role that probably not one director in town would have cast me in. Tough talking, cigarette boozing, uh, raucous, uh, crass. Uh, but yet Jim Cordy, the doll, came in from New York and saw something that he felt he could mold over into what he wanted. And as you know, I was lucky enough to receive a Jeff Award for that role. Well, you and know so why. that always makes me aggravated when I feel that a director boxes you in, as I said at the beginning of the conversation, as an actor, we should be expected to be able to do anything. That's true. That's true. And it's funny how that works. And they're aware of that, because I've interviewed you know, uh, many directors. And they all say that, but you're right. They they tend to do that. Yes. And but I, let me talk about uh, what you did with uh, Full Monty. 
uh, I don't. I'm sure you're aware of it by now. You took a mediocre show that was going along, and it was like, oh, this is stretching out. And all of a sudden, your character Jeanette comes in, and you just take over and put breathe life into that show. Well, I think the bottom line was I was having such a ball doing something that I had never ever had an opportunity to do. And actually, in private life, you know I'm a jokester, and I could be ballsy. I don't smoke or drink, but, I mean, I have, I have the best fun, you know, being raucous. But I've never had an opportunity to display that, you know, in a character. So I took Jeanette and ran with her, and I've never had such a wonderful time as I did at, in that show. Well, a lot of people don't realize that you get a standing ovation at, at, when you do that, that bit right at the end of the, of the act. You mean in uh, Full Monty or here? In in the Full Monty. Oh, in Full Monty, yeah. yes, yes, yes. They were the audiences were wonderful, and uh, and it shows. You know, when you're comfortable in what you're doing, and you feel that you have a chance to display uh, various facets of your talent, it's a very very rewarding experience. Uh, and I I remember going home opening night, and we already knew we had something very special. And I was walking to the garage by myself. And uh, one of the business managers was walking to his car, and I turned to him and I said, can anybody explain this kind of a high to anybody who is not in theater? Can you explain this high that we're feeling right now? And he said, no, you can't put that into words. There's nothing that ever touches that in real life. Well, that's why people like John Mahoney and so many others who go on to television and film have to come back to the stage. Yes. There's nothing like that. Live theater. Live theater, so it's been a great uh, a great uh, road. Both my parents were musical and in theater, and so uh, the legacy is there. And I'm so grateful uh, just to be able to keep my my finger in the pie. I mean, it keeps you, I hope, young. It keeps you uh, active. It keeps you interested in the world. It keeps you an interesting person to other people. So I'm very grateful for uh, for the work that I've had, and certainly hope that I will have in the future. Well, let me ask you about your the Molly Pecan Show, the return engagement. Well, your audience, most of your audience, probably will not remember or know who she was. So let me just briefly sure. say that she was uh, the great star of the Yiddish theater, who then uh, transferred her talent and her ability to mainstream American stage and film. Uh, she was uh, Frank Sinatra's mother in the movie Come Blow Your Horn. Uh, she played the lead in Milk and Honey on Broadway, a majority of one on Broadway and in England. Uh, she um, had a radio show. Uh, she and her husband toured all of the DP camps during the war. Uh, she did a number of concerts at Carnegie Hall. Uh, she was a great, uh, a great actress, singer, uh, professional. And it's very interesting because my father was a star of the Yiddish Theater here in Chicago in the early days, and uh, he had appeared with Molly Pecan uh, in some theater here in Chicago. Uh, so I never met her, but uh, we've been trapped. My partner and I have been uh, touring for the last 10 years all over the United States in a musical biography of her life. It's a full two-hour show, and we've been not only going to uh, the synagogues and the temples, but we've been invited to universities and colleges, uh, it's a bit of theatrical history, and uh, when people ask me the songs are in Yiddish, 
they won't understand it, my answer is, well, you go to the opera and you don't always understand what they're singing, but you certainly get a feel for the music. So how true that is. And so, and, of course, and, the show is in English, but some of her early songs would be, you know, in Yiddish. You you belt out 18 songs in that show. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a heavy-duty thing. Yeah. It's a heavy-duty. We just uh, were fortunate enough to present it down at Bradley University in Peoria. My son and daughter-in-law are graduates of uh, Bradley and uh, we did it at the university, and I think there were like 500 people, and I probably would say that, you know, 492 were not of the Jewish faith, but it was a theatrical presentation, and they just uh, ate it up, just ate it up. So, you know, music and theater is universal in its theme. Absolutely. And many times you go to see a movie in a different language, and you don't even bother looking at the English subtitles because you know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, if you if you tune into it and if it's well produced that that's Exactly. Exactly. Well, tell us about some of the other roles. I know you've played Yenta the Matchmakers. Well, Yenta I've toured also all over the country and I was fortunate enough to do Yenta the uh, Light Opera Works some years ago uh in Evanston and then I did it at um uh Drury Lane Oak Brook. Uh, with my darling Iris Lieberman playing uh, Golda, and then I recreated the role again in the Munster uh, two years ago when Bill Polinsi did uh, Fiddle Around the Roof. That, and was, that the- was the last performance with the May He Rest in Peace. Um, Lee Pelty played, he recreated uh, a Tevia. Yeah. And uh, that was a joy. You know, that's a, that's a part that's uh, after my own heart. Uh, so it's it's been wonderful. I've had an opportunity to do a number of those. Well, uh, you, you certainly uh, use the wide range uh, because I, 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 you're not only an actor and a singer, but remember Full Monty, you did a pretty good dance, too. I was a dancer. <laughs> yeah. I was. I yeah. took ballet and tap from the time I was about five years old. Never was a ballerina, but I loved tap. I, always, I was a good tapster. <laughs> And I actually uh, made my debut as a dancer and singer uh, when I was six years old at the Chicago Theater doing five shows a day. In those days, they had uh, the movie, and then the, the curtains would open up. And five, shows a, five shows a day? Five shows a day. See, five shows a day for two weeks over the Christmas holidays. See, and I hear actors take complaining when they have to do two. Right, right. <laughs> That's why I, you don't hear me complain very much when I'm working. I'm grateful for the job. Well, I remember when you did uh, Over the River and, uh, and Through the Woods. Oh, that was a joy. Tell us about that, cause, because you showed... Uh, you have that big ending scene. Yes. After a few of the, the grandparents had died. And yes. That, that was just magnificent. Well, that was too. Uh, that was a show in which friendships were formed uh, and have kept to this day a joy in my heart with all these people. Uh, the wonderful actress, Glory Kissel, played the other grandmother. Mm-hmm. Glory and I are both only children, and we've become like sisters through that show. Uh, uh, Bernie Landis, who played my husband, is the joy of my life. He and his wife are in my world now completely. Uh, we really formed tremendous bonds on stage uh, and off, and it became a real family. And there I played an Italian. You know, I was just going to say Italian that. Family. Yeah, you, and you played it just like the Italian mothers of kids I grew up with. Well, Italian mothers, Jewish mothers, Greek mothers, the mothers are all the same. You yeah. know, how can you differentiate? Well, they all and they all make you eat the food when you That's come over. That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. But we, uh, that was a joy. We, uh, we started it in uh, Munster, and uh, then we were called to, uh, to do a run at the Mercury Theater. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, we lasted there about nine months uh, at the Mercury. 
and uh, it's a joyful show, and I think it should be picked up more. I mean, it just has gone away, and it's such a marvelous, marvelous family well, you show. Well, you mention it to John Gawlick, because that's the, the other audience out there that's in, right. in St. Charles. Yeah. That's right. It's a wonderful family show, and it speaks to all religions, all religions. So a lot of good friendships were forged from that, and that was another role that I just took such a delight in uh, in the playing, and we enjoyed. It was the kind of a show that, for myself, as well as I know Glory and Bernie, we couldn't wait to get to the theater every night. I have to tell you honestly, that's one of the first and only times that most of us had that feeling. We couldn't wait to get to the theater. Wow. It was a total family it was a total family. Well, that shows that, that when you're in a great role and you love what you're doing, it's not work. Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. That's well, for sure. You did some stuff at the at uh, the Goodman. You did the Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol. And the one fortunate thing about uh, doing Mrs. Fezziwig for four years was that I had the opportunity to do Christmas Carol the last two years at the old Goodman and then the first two years at the new Goodman. So that was a, a really uh, a joy, and I was so lucky to be able to play in both places. And our hearts were broken. You know, that old Goodman was something else. And uh, those of us that grew up seeing shows there, remembering the physical uh, environment of that place, we will always mourn its loss. But, you know, you make way for for the future. Yeah, yeah. For the future. But we did do two years there and then two years at the uh, at the new one, and uh, that's a very joyous time of the year to be in a show like Christmas Carol. Uh, there's parties, and there's uh, uh, presents, and there's music, and caroling, and people, and we, in fact, we uh, we put the lights on of the uh, Christmas tree at Daly Center uh, one year. We were invited to come down and light the tree. I mean, you know, it's a festive time of the year anyway, and when you're working in kind of a festive atmosphere, nothing can beat that. Yeah, and, and you had an interesting experience with uh, uh, Grover's Corners. Tell us about that, because there's a tie-in with a very famous show. Well, uh, Grover's Corners is uh, the musical based on the famous play, Our Town. And uh, that went up at uh, the Lincolnshire Marriott. When was that, Tom? That's about uh, 12, 15 years ago? Yeah, I would think at least. Something like yeah. that. And uh, Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt, who, of course, wrote I Do, I Do, and um, 110 in the Shade, uh, and, and of course, the Fantastics. Uh, they uh, were the uh, writers and composers of uh, Grover's Corners, and they came to Chicago, uh, to the Marriott, to work with the cast uh, during the entire run of the show. Tom Jones played the, um, the narrator. And so we lived and worked with them, you know, day after day after day. Oh, I didn't realize they were in the show, too. Uh, Tom was, Tom the, was, uh, okay. was the narrator, yes. And uh, they stayed in Chicago during the 13 weeks because they were tweaking things, putting in an intermission, taking out an intermission, tweaking a song here and there. And uh, I was cast as a school teacher. And uh, unbelievably, from that association, which is a long time, Harvey Schmidt and I uh, keep in touch with letters and Christmas cards, he is an uh, an absolute angel. I've lost track of Tom because uh, he's busy in New York, but Harvey retired to Texas. He just was tired of the business and wanted to just live a quiet life. Uh, he had a different temperament than Tom, and uh, and so we correspond all the time. And I don't know if your listeners realize if they've ever seen the Fantastics, the curtain uh, with the logo Fantastics that's uh, in script. Uh, that is Harvey's design. He is a great, 
artist, oh. a great artist, and every Christmas I get a big sketch of something, either the cover of a record or a painting of his home or something. So I've kept all of Harvey's stuff. That'll be a nice collection someday. Yes, it certainly will. To but pass uh, but Tom, is, uh, Tom is composing uh, in New York, and he joined up with, um, uh, oh, God, uh, Joe, Joe Falcon, uh, a composer, because Tom is the lyricist, and they're the ones that are responsible a couple of years ago for turning the movie Harold and Maud into a musical. Great. I'm glad you mentioned it. It was on my list. We, we, we're psychic on this. <laughs> yeah, see? see? Well, we know each other too well. Yeah. Uh, well, it's had a couple of reincarnations. It got rave reviews one place and not so good in another. They've revised it. They've written a lot of new songs. And we were given the opportunity from them to hold a staged reading here in Chicago. Uh, and when Tom uh, learned that I was going to be a part of it, he agreed to allow the material to be uh, presented here. And we did a staged reading at the home of David Bell, who you'll probably see tonight at the opening of um, Fiddler, because he's directed the new Fiddler at sure. Shire Marriott. And we had a very, very successful uh, staged reading. The music is wonderful. And you can't fault the script because it's Harold and Maud, which has become, of course, a cult classic. Oh, yes. And so, you know, Tom, the bottom line is financing now, you know, yep. to get anything up on its feet. And well, we're certainly hoping that in the near future, somebody will be able to pick up on this because I, I think with the material and the, the music and the material that's already known to most people, even young people know it as a cult project. Yes, they do. Uh, it would be a it wonderful would, vehicle. I think it would work. Uh, it would work on stage because there's humor, like you said. There's I haven't everything. heard the everything. score, but it, but the, with the people you're saying involved, I'm sure it would be good. And, and I trust your judgment because well, it was. We think, it, was well, a, it was a pretty incredible uh, reading, and everybody that was there from some of the major theaters here and some of the uh, backers that are well known in Chicago, they just went bananas. But. Money is tight, and people sure. are afraid, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, most of us in theater are not capable of financing things on our own. We look to other people to give us that boost. Well, as I told you before, we'll, yeah. we'll see what we can do to help get that going, because I'm a believer in, in helping jumpstart new projects and whatever I Well, and you know, I nobody can. gets a guarantee sometimes of things that people think are absolute winners turn out not to be, and then that little black horse comes up and says, wow, you know, look at what we were able to do. Or we see overblown, overproduced uh, direct, uh, right. some of the stuff that comes on tour, and I don't want to n name it. But no, the, I understand. And, I understand. And you wonder where they're coming from. Well, I wonder where the money is coming uh -huh. from when I look around me, uh, when I'm uh, uh, made available of a gratis ticket, and I get to see some of the major stuff downtown, and those seats are packed with families at that price, with, with, uh, with parking, with a bite to eat, with transportation. It just blows me away. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. That's why we're, we're going to see we can do to, to help uh, with Harold and Maud. Uh, we'll, we'll get the word out. I would, I would love it. You know, we don't have to worry about the story and the script. That's, That's right. built in. That's right. And that was a built-in built uh, love fest. Right, and there's a built-in audience. And once you have that, uh, as long as the production is well and the and and the songs will be good, uh, you know. And, yes. And of course, with you, you, you playing uh, 
the uh, mod. The yeah, the mod uh, with what's her name won Academy Award for it. Uh, in the oh, Ruth Gordon. Ruth Gordon. Ruth. Uh, nobody could touch her, but you know you can bring your own oh, yeah. uh, your own interpretation to it. Yeah, that, which is what you'll do. Well, Renee, two things because we're running out of All time. All right, wonderful. Number, number one is I always ask this question to uh, to actors: What advice would you give to young? actors just starting out in the business? Well, I think most of all, if you're really gung-ho on this field and you don't see yourself doing anything else for at least the near future, make sure that you have confidence in what you know you can do because auditions are for the birds and it can uh, ruin your feeling about yourself. If you go in and you're not the right look or the right height or your ear is too big or your hair is the wrong color, all those things color into why they take you or why they don't. But if you know what kind of talent you possess and you have an honest evaluation of how good you are, don't let anybody destroy that because it can be destroyed in one audition. They don't mean to be cruel, but they're seeing a lot of people. And if you walk in and you're physically or vocally just not what they're looking for and you're dismissed, don't take it personally. And I say this because I am still blown away when I go to an audition and come home. I should have said this. I should have said that. I should have worn this. I, why did I? You beat yourself bloody. Know what you can do. And you just may not be right for that particular part, but you'll be right down the road. Right. Well, that's that's certainly good advice. And my always last question is, what are some of the roles that you would love to play that you haven't had a chance to? Well, you know, I'm you know I'm of an age category now where all of the uh, the wonderful young singers. I'm a singer. You know, the wonderful young leading lady singing roles have passed me by. So I don't think there's anything right now that I would covet. I would just love to be able to continue to work. Uh, and work at my craft and um, and get the sound of the audience and um, and bring it home with me, you know, and, and make me, uh, I'm generally a happy human being anyway, but that sure makes me happy to be working. Yeah, doesn't it? And and what's what's great is you lead that whole core of Chicago actors who support one another. You'll go and compete with yes. some of the names you've named, and, yes. and then you'll get some roles and some roles you won't get, but you guys are always there to support the, the other. The community here, for the most part, is incredibly supportive of one another. And I'd like to take one second just to illuminate that. There's a wonderful actress in town, Iris Lieberman, who's a friend of mine. And we were up for the same role, and I did not have the audition sides, the parts to audition with. She went home and Xeroxed whatever I needed and brought that over to my house, and we were in competition for the same part. Wow. And she brought me the script so that I could get up on that. And I think you find that sort of camaraderie in this city more than not. Yeah, and and I especially hear that from out-of-town actors. Because yeah. that does not happen in New York. No, absolutely And it not. won't happen in L.A., particularly when they're going for a film. They'll, they'll step on your foot and break your toe to that, that, get the I'm part. sure. Yeah. I'm sure. No, there is, a com- there is a camaraderie here that you cannot ignore. That's very true, and we're very grateful for it. And as I say, some of us come out of a show with a new friend, uh, a lifetime friend, and someone that you cherish. And that's, that's just something, that's something wonderful. Well, Renee... Thank you so much. Thank and, you, Tom. And thanks for the advice to the to the young actors. And folks, get out to Noble Fool, uh, out of Pheasant Run, to see Over the Tavern, because it's it's marvelous. And you'll see one of the finest actors in Chicago. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Tom. Thank you, Good Renee. luck to you.